this afternoon, I proclaim to you the word of God as we confess that in Lord's Day 26 of the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 26, and we'll also read the first two paragraphs of Article 34 of the Belgic Confession. First of all, Lord's Day 26. And what we confess there about the holy, holy baptism goes as follows. How does, your, how does holy baptism signify and seal to you that the one sacrifice of Christ on the cross benefits you? In this way, Christ instituted this outward washing and with it gave the promise that as surely as water washes away the dirt from the body, so certainly his blood and spirit wash away the impurity of my soul, that is, all my sins. What does it mean to be washed with Christ's blood and spirit? To be washed with Christ's blood means to receive forgiveness of sins from God through grace because of Christ's blood poured out for us in his sacrifice on the cross. To be washed with his spirit means to be renewed by the Holy Spirit and sanctified to be members of Christ so that more and more we become dead to sin and lead a holy and blameless life. Where has Christ promised that he will wash us with his blood and spirit as surely as we are washed with the water of baptism? At the institution of baptism where he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. This promise is repeated where scripture calls baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins. And then we turn to Article 34 of our Belgian Confession. There we confess the sacrament of baptism. We believe and confess that Jesus Christ, who is the end of the law, has put has by his shed blood put an end to every other shedding of blood that one could or would make as an expiation or satisfaction for sins. He has abolished circumcision, which involved blood, and has instituted in its place the sacrament of baptism. By baptism, we are received into the church of God and set apart from all other peoples and false religions to be entirely committed to him whose mark and emblem we bear. This serves as a testimony to us that he will be our God and gracious Father forever. For that reason, he has commanded all those who are his to be baptized with plain water into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. By this, he signifies to us that as water washes away the dirt of the body when poured on us, and as water is seen on the body of the baptized when sprinkled on him, so the blood of Christ by the Holy Spirit does the same thing internally to the soul. It washes and cleanses our soul from sin and regenerates us from children of wrath into children of God. This is not brought about by the water as such, but by the sprinkling of the precious blood of the Son of God, which is our Red Sea, through which we must pass to escape the tyranny of Pharaoh that is the devil and enter into the spiritual land of Canaan. So far, Article 34 of the Belgian Confession. 
Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, we, as we hope to celebrate the Lord's Supper in this service, it might seem kind of unfortunate that we're just right at this point where we deal with uh, holy baptism in Lord's Day 26 this afternoon. But last Sunday we saw with Lord's Day 25 that the sacraments have been instituted by God so that the, the Holy Spirit might strengthen our faith by the use of them. In other words, both baptism and Lord's Supper are instruments of the Holy Spirit by which he wants to purify us more and more, make us more and more devoted to God in Christ, sanctify us more and more. That's his work, the work of the Holy Spirit, wants to sanctify us. The, the theme for the sermon this afternoon is then the Holy Spirit wants to use our baptism to sanctify us. And we pay attention to two things He calls us to acknowledge the need for our baptism and he calls us to work with the fact of our baptism. So first of all, acknowledge the need for our baptism. How does holy baptism signify and seal to you that the one sacrifice of Christ on the cross benefits you? Now, let me just read that again. How does holy baptism signify and seal to you that the one sacrifice of Christ on the cross benefits you. The emphasis, I put the emphasis on you because this afternoon we're not going to deal with a theory or theology of holy baptism, but the, the practice of it. And then with practice, I don't mean the method we use to administer holy baptism in the church here. I mean the practice of baptism in, in your life. What do you do with it? Water was sprinkled on your forehead in the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Pretty well all of us here were baptized. And probably most of us as, as infants then, you were baptized. And I don't say that the fact of your baptism isn't important, but what's more important than the fact that you were baptized is what do you do with the fact that you were baptized? How do you use it? What do you do with it? What does it mean for you that that one sacrifice of Christ was signified and sealed on your forehead? Let's think about the answer we can give to that question. And then we have to take our starting point in the form for the baptism of infants this afternoon, and that's on page 597 of the Book of Praise. 597, and it says there, and it begins like this, first the three parts of, of the doctrine of baptism. The first part there, first we and our children are conceived and born in sin and are therefore by nature children of wrath so that we cannot enter the kingdom of God unless we are born again. This is what the immersion in or the sprinkling with water teaches us. It signifies the impurity of our souls so that we may detest ourselves, humble ourselves before God and seek our cleansing and salvation outside of ourselves. Now I draw your attention to that part of the form for baptism because it shows that the first thing that our baptism wants to impress on us as we grow up and come to understanding 
the first thing that we have to realize is that our baptism signifies that we're sinners. Sinners, right from conception and birth already. Baptism signifies washing, and we all need to be washed. And the, the impurity of our souls is mentioned in Lord's Day 26. And that means that there aren't just outward sins which have to be washed away, but our souls are unclean. There's dirt inside us which needs to be washed away. The core of our being is impure and is filthy before God. And I want to emphasize that the fact that you're baptized is something to be proud of in the first place then. It's something to be ashamed of. Our baptism was a sad necessity because we're unclean, we're impure in ourselves, and therefore unable to enter the kingdom of God unless we're cleansed. Of ourselves, we're completely unacceptable to God. And that's the first lesson our baptism teaches us and which we have to accept And don't say too quickly, brothers and sisters, that you've already accepted that and you don't need to be reminded of your sins and sinfulness again. Don't think that this is easy to accept. It's actually the most difficult thing of all for us to learn, also for as baptized people. And we're baptized because that has to be relearned over and over and over again. And that's because the Holy Spirit teaches us with our baptism to detest ourselves. Detest ourselves. He he wants us to show that we have accepted that again every time the Lord's Supper is celebrated too. Because the first part of self-examination for the Lord's Supper is to consider our sins and accursedness so that we humble ourselves before God. Now, detesting yourself and humbling yourself doesn't mean that you have to hate yourself all the time. But it means that you completely humble yourself before God. A Christian isn't necessarily someone who always has to think badly about himself or herself. But a Christian is somebody who feels that way whenever he or she comes before God and examines themselves. And at the same time then, also, as a Christian, he knows that he or she can go to Christ and know there's cleansing from that uncleanness and impurity. I have a savior, there's salvation for me. But that complete salvation is only there for you if you also humble yourself, confess your own sins and sinfulness, and seek your salvation completely outside of yourself. Humble yourself. And in that sense, detest yourself. Who can do that? Who wants to do that? 
And don't say too quickly either, I can do that. Don't have a problem with humbling myself like that. Because self-humiliation goes right against our fallen nature. Goes right against your feeling of self-worth and your pride. And let's face it, pride is the big sin which lives deep in the hearts of all of us. Ever since that sin of Adam and Eve in paradise, which was born in pride, we, ha- we all have that living in us. We don't want to submit to God, but we actually want to be God ourselves. Want to decide what is good and evil for ourselves rather than let God decide that. And then we're also proud over against each other. Actually, all too proud to admit each other to each other that we're wrong when we, we were wrong. We're all inclined to think that our own opinion is the right one and we only too readily look down on others. I'm right, they're wrong. I'm better than she is, I'm more than him. Those kind of things. Well, as long as we're looking down on others, we're not going to look up to God, are we? And then the real repentance from sin is going to be far from us too. And instead, we're going to have all kinds of excuses for thinking and behaving as we do. Well, no, no wonder I did that. The circumstances dictated that to me. But I'm really not that kind of a person, you know. Or others incited me to say what I did, but I'm normally, normally I wouldn't have never said that. And the interesting thing is that it's exactly in challenging circumstances that our true nature comes to the fore, doesn't it? Under normal circumstances, we're more able to keep up our appearances over against each other, but over against the Lord God. Outward appearances don't mean anything, even though we try to look good to him too. And, and think of how our relationship with him sometimes just becomes show too. Try to look good for God. And brothers and sisters, boys and girls, if our sorrow because of our sin is just show, just outward words, then how is the message of forgiveness in Christ going to mean anything for us then? It's not going to mean much for us, is it? Because whoever is not truly sorrowful, detests themselves because of their sinfulness before God and their shortcomings, they're also not going to experience the joy there is in Christ when the gospel is preached and they realize it's all forgiven. Or when they take the the bread and wine of the Lord's Supper. Will that make them joyful if they don't see how much they need Christ? And see, this is why the Holy Spirit makes so much work of the sacraments both baptism as well as the Lord's Supper are meant to impress on our hearts that all of us are sinners and all of us need to humble ourselves because of our sins and sinfulness. And that's the only way we're going to get anything out of 
remembering Christ. And because we're dealing with Lord's Day 26 about baptism this afternoon, we pay special attention to that sacrament now. Lord's Day 26 says, Christ instituted this outward washing. He said that believers and their children need to be baptized. And why is that necessary? So that the Spirit brings us to acknowledge our sins and uncleanness before God again and again and presses us with that. That desperate need for the washing with His blood and Spirit in order to bring us to Christ. And keep us with Christ. And get us to grow into Christ. We come to the second part of the message this afternoon. The Spirit calls us to work with the fact of our baptism. Congregation, it's not enough, of course, simply to be baptized. To speak of working with our baptism implies that. And unfortunately, it seems that there are people also in the church who think that as long as they're baptized into the covenant of church of God, they can count on the promise that they're going to inherit the kingdom of God and eternal life. Whatever comes. But reasoning like that isn't going to work. The reasoning is true, but it's not the whole story. The whole truth is that you also need to humbly and trustingly and continually accept God's gracious promises. Without self-humiliation, you're not going to be able to appropriate those promises for yourself. We read earlier on from 1 Corinthians 10, where the Apostle Paul presents the history of the people of Israel as a warning to the church of Corinth. The warning that we can take to heart today too. Apparently the situation in Corinth was such that people figured that they belonged to Jesus Christ. They were baptized. They were free to do pretty well whatever they wanted. They had, they had grace. They had a problem then with how Christian freedom should be applied. And they said something like, okay, we're baptized. We're saved by Jesus. Nobody can take that away from us anymore. But it's wrong. It's dangerous even to think and say that. The apostle points to the Old Testament history of Israel as the warning. Look, he says, that whole nation of Israel passed through the Red Sea when they left Egypt. Men, women, and children. And that passing through the sea was their baptism, you could say. It was a definite break with their old life of slavery in in Egypt and a step into their new life of freedom. They were all baptized in the Red Sea, all delivered by God. And yet, yet afterwards, many of those people perished in the wilderness. And they were baptized, as it were, but God was not pleased with them. And why was God not pleased with them, even though they had been baptized into Uh, Israel's Old Testament mediator, Moses. Well, they lusted after evil things, it says, verse 6. They didn't use their baptism in the Red Sea to begin that new life into which God had placed them. Instead, they threw themselves into idolatry, set their hearts on wickedness, 
And they went so far in that that the Lord God put an end to their lives. He couldn't stand their attitude and their way of living any longer. He promised them and gave them a new life. They didn't accept it in faith and live out of that more and more, that new life. They forfeited God's promises then. And what happened with Israel in the wilderness is held up in 1 Corinthians 10 as a warning for us, an example. You can forfeit God's gracious promises. You can lose what is promised and sealed to you. And instead of receiving God's promises, then you will receive his threats. Whoever is baptized is brought into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's a great privilege, a huge privilege. But that relationship with Christ isn't automatic. It can't continue to exist if the love only comes from one side. It starts that way, but it can't continue if, if the love keeps having to come only from, from God's side. It also has to come from our side. When we're able to show that. But that relationship from our side is the problem too. It can be threatened by the temptation to lust after evil things and become idolatrous. That means putting other things above the relationship with Christ. Giving yourself over to desires that take you away from him. That's what idolatry is. And that's why the apostle warns so seriously 1 Corinthians 10 verse 14 therefore my beloved flee from idolatry flee you know normally it doesn't sound really brave if you tell somebody to flee but it's the only way to deal with idolatry the temptation to make something else more important in your life than your relationship with Jesus Christ that relationship in which you have been placed. Flee. Flee. Only those who are weak in faith will stay. They'll stay because they're attracted to the temptation and they fall into idolatry, serving and worshiping something instead of or in addition to Christ. The weak stay. The strong flee. And if you stay, you provoke the Lord to jealousy. And how can you then partake of the Lord's table, the apostle writes, if you've set your heart on other things? So what do we learn from Paul's warnings, 1 Corinthians 10? Well, your baptism is not a nice pillow for you to sleep on, but it's a tool for you to work with, given by the Holy Spirit. It's a tool to work with your whole life long. If you've been baptized, your life belongs to Jesus Christ. And that should make everything different for you. For now, you also have the responsibility, the calling to love him and devote your life to him, to make him what your life centers around. The Holy Spirit is given to you to help you with that. He wants to work in and through you. But you need to let him work with you too then. The Bible says you can resist the spirit. 
And that means you refuse to let him lead you, even though he has been promised to you and wants to work in you. And if that's the case, then the relationship with Christ will break down and God will not and cannot give you what is promised you. That's what, why it's so important to use your baptism congregation too to work with it. And that means every time again, you need to come back to that self-humiliation before God. You, every time again, you have to think, I've been baptized with that water, washed, because I'm, in myself, I'm a sinner. And I'm unable to keep any of God's good commandments. But I believe that God has given me promises I can count on, I can lean on. He's promised to wash me in Christ and to renew me by the Spirit. And that's what I want. That's what I seek and ask for. Washing and renewal. And see, that's how you work with your baptism, brothers and sisters, boys and girls. If you work with it like that, calling on God's help, then your baptism is a mighty instrument in the hands of the Holy Spirit to help you along in your faith and living out of your faith. And we can say something the same about the Lord's Supper, which we hope to celebrate just now. The Holy Spirit also wants to use this sacrament as an instrument to strengthen the faith of those who profess that faith in Christ. But then the first thing we need to do is examine ourselves every time to ask ourselves how far we've come with our love and obedience for the Lord and for each other. And I'm afraid that every time again, every two months, we examine ourselves, we'll have to humbly acknowledge that we're poor sinners who need God's complete grace in Christ. And then we'll be thankful for how patient God is with us. And then we'll pray in our hearts, Lord God, please forgive me and help me to fight against my sins and help me to more and more live the new life you gave me in Christ, a life that pleases you. Congregation, if those thoughts live in us again this afternoon too, then the sacraments will achieve what they're intended to do. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. And then they're truly instruments of the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for giving us sacraments, also the sacrament of baptism, by which the Holy Spirit wants us to acknowledge that we need Jesus Christ and that our need for him is desperate. And Father, that we seek him then. We seek him as he has been promised to us in baptism, that we seek his washing, the washing with his blood and the washing with his spirit. And that we also, from the heart, seek the nourishing of our souls with his body and blood. Father, that, that we seek it deep in our hearts. 
And Father, then, then we'll also come to that joy and we pray that you bring us all to that also this afternoon after the Lord's Supper. We ask that you will help us to work with your sacraments and that your spirit may through them sanctify us more and more. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.